All right, welcome back, everyone. Once again, happy Thanksgiving, and we hope that uh, you're going to have a, a good Thanksgiving. By the way, um, I think we say this every year, but if anyone is alone for any reason or you don't have some place to go, would you let us know so that we can make sure, uh, whether it's in our home or somewhere, we can get you to a place to be with people who love the Lord and who love you. So please let us know if uh, you're alone or if you know someone who's alone who needs to be ministered to on Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, one of the things we have going on here, uh, some of you are aware that uh, we do have uh, one of the eight local AA chapters meeting here. They meet here seven days a week in the mornings, uh, 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, on Thanksgiving, they do a, a gratitude meeting. So they'll be in here, actually, Thanksgiving morning. They usually meet out there, but they'll be in here next uh, uh, Thursday um, having a time of gratitude together. So you know, if you think of it, just pray for them. You know, the, those are folks who are struggling, who are going through, you know, uh, trying to, to, to be shed of and, and get well from their addictions and the pain that uh, that has caused. And so they'll be meeting in here. I just met with them this morning. We talked about how we're going to set things up for them. So it's just a real honor to serve them, to, to be a part of the community and, and meet the needs there. So uh, hold that in prayer if you would. Um. So where we are this morning, you know, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and as you know, our custom here is to just teach the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, so this morning, we would normally be in Matthew chapter 25, because the last two weeks we've been through Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, if you've been here with us, if you haven't, I'll bring you up to speed, is one of the high points of the scriptures. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And there in the Olivet Discourse, in, in chapter 24 in particular, he primarily spoke in answering a couple of questions for the disciples. And I'm going to, out of character and unusually, use a, uh, a PowerPoint this morning, if I can get that to come up is the, uh, there we go. Give me one second here to talk. So we, we appreciate feedback. And uh, one of the pieces of feedback we got as we were going through Matthew chapter 25 is when we begin to talk about things like end time events, sometimes these things can be a little confusing. And so uh, one of the pieces of feedback we got in particular was, <clears throat> I'm not sure I understand the relationship between the rapture of the church and um, the second coming of Christ. And, and as we went through and taught there in Matthew 24 over the last two weeks, we're just sharing with you what Jesus said. And so we're going to uh, take a little pause this morning between those two chapters and talk about the rapture of the church to the best of my ability. This is a daunting subject, uh, not the rapture of the church in particular, but to try to put it together in some kind of a meaningful way, and hopefully we will accomplish that. If we don't, um, pray for me. Uh, but as we do that this morning, let's just uh, bow our hearts before the Lord, ask his blessing on this time of study, doing it in a bit of an unusual way, and ask that he might lead us and hopefully give us a clearer understanding of these things. So Lord, thank you this morning for your word as we get into it. And we pray that you will minister to us and bring clarity to our understanding. These things are so important, Lord, because we are, are, are rapidly approaching the, the end times, the last days. And we know in scripture as we read it, and as we'll discuss this morning, that there 
is nothing left to be fulfilled before you come back for your bride. And so you could literally come at any moment. Your return is imminent. And we need to be ready. So use these things this morning to speak to us, to minister to us, to quicken our hearts and our spirits that we might be looking up, as the scripture says, for our redemption draws nigh. So minister to us this morning, Lord, as we seek you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, put your thumb in Matthew 24 and 25. And you may remember there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking to a question that his disciples asked him as they got alone. And they said there in Matthew 24, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of, of the age? And Jesus began to speak of them of what we know will be the, the time of the tribulation leading up to when uh, his second coming appears. So Jesus spoke from a position of AD 32, which was when he was crucified, uh, looking down through the annals of history, and, and at this point, we're, we're 2,000 years after that, and he was looking forward to the time of the tribulation and the end of the time of the tribulation, when he will come back uh, in great glory and he will judge uh, those people on the earth who did not believe in him. We know that the time of the tribulation period is a time when God pours out his wrath on an evil and an unbelieving world. That's one purpose. The other purpose is to give his, his children, the nation of Israel, who rejected him as he came the first time, another opportunity to turn to him and to claim him as, as his Messiah. So we've talked about these things as we've been going through Matthew 24 and 25, and we would certainly point you back to the last couple of weeks of Bible study. It's listed on our website, of course, that could be helpful uh, to you if you're just kind of coming into this cold. But I am going to share with you this morning some charts and timelines, and I hope these things will be helpful if they confuse you. I, I apologize. Uh, all of this is available uh, to you. I'll give it to you in PDF. I'll email it to you. It's in PowerPoint. You know, it's just a teaching aid, and I don't normally do this. I, I do it on special occasions. Uh, but we'll talk about the, the rapture and the second coming and hopefully try to bring a little bit of clarity to that. Uh, there's a lot of charts out there. If you Google this stuff, you'll see it out there. These come out of some books that I have. But this is one view, just taking a wider view, looking all the way back to the Babylonian captivity that happened in the Old Testament um, when God brought judgment on his people, both the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah and had the, uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians come in and take them captive. And at the end of that Babylonian captivity, there was a decree from Cyrus to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So these are significant things. We've talked about some of these things as we've gone through them on the day of the triumphal entry. When Jesus came in, there was this prophecy made in Daniel chapter 9 listed at the top there. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And those 69 weeks, those first 69 weeks have already occurred, but this 70th week of Daniel, we've been sort of in this pause period waiting for the Lord to come and do something, and that 70th week is the period of the tribulation, that seven-year period. 
And so this is just sort of giving you a, an overview of that. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just trying to give you a sequence of events. Uh, Jesus came to the earth. You can see the cross there. Then the Messiah, the prince, was cut off. That's what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. And what that means is that the Jewish people rejected their Messiah. And we saw this on the day of the triumphal entry as we studied it. And uh, we know as we read verses like in John chapter 1 where it says that John chapter 1 verse 12, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So his own people rejected him. And so Jesus allowed the gospel through the book of Acts to go to the Gentiles. And so now we're in this period of time, as it's called there, the church age, where the gospel is going out to the whole world. And then at the end of the church age, whenever the Lord decides to come back for his people, we have this thing called the rapture of the church, which we will look into this morning. And that sort of is the beginning of or initiates the time of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes. Let's take a look at another view here. This is sort of a closer view or a zooming in view, looking at what we call the church age, the tribulation, and then the millennium. These things are all talked about, of course, in the book of Revelation. So this is looking at the end of the church age. Again, whenever that ends, the rapture of the church happens. And we saw back right after the time of the cross, the destruction of the temple in AD 70 came. The reason that's so important to history and to the Jewish people is because their way of worshiping God was destroyed. They went to the temple uh, to worship the Lord. And, And then the synagogues were like little temples, if you will, that were out around our concept of churches today is sort of like that. We, we find a church to go to. There's no central church that we go to. There's no head church uh, that we all kind of report into. But in uh, Jewish theology, it was the temple that was the center of Jewish life. And there were seven feasts per year that drew people together. Three were compulsory or mandatory for every male over the age of 20. And so uh, every year, three times, uh, people would travel up to Jerusalem. Well, that was all destroyed in AD 70, and it was a very significant thing. Their way of life was destroyed, and the only thing I can try to think of that would be comparable to us today would be if somebody nuked Washington, D.C. Now, I know some of you would like that, but uh, just try to think of uh, that happening and our way of life being completely different because something that's been so central to our way of life is completely destroyed. And that was in a, in a sort of an analogous way as what it was like when their temple was destroyed in AD 70. And we know that as we, we kind of fast forward a bit, thinking about when will the Lord come back and when will the time of the tribulation happen, the temple has to be rebuilt. It has not yet been rebuilt because there's a dispute. If you follow any of this at all, um, in Jerusalem, there's a piece of dirt on top of the, the Wailing Wall. You've probably all seen pictures of that. That's called the Western Wall, and that's actually more of a retaining wall. And up on top, all of that acreage is where the temple was when it was destroyed. And right beside where the temple was today is the Al-Asks Mosque, which is the the Muslim holy uh, central place. And it's sort of ironic that Satan has set up his temple right beside where God's temple was. And so as we, we speed toward the end times, we, we've not yet seen the temple be rebuilt, but there's lots of preparations being made. And if you're into that kind of thing, you can just Google the templemount.org 
And there's a whole society of people who are there busily preparing all of the implements, the, the reinstitution of the, uh, the priest's garments and all of the, the implements that go on in the temple. So again, we're not going into all of that, but I'm just trying to give you a perspective uh, of what's going to happen at that time. So during the time of the tribulation, the, the temple will be restored. It will be rebuilt and worship will be restored just as it was prior to A.D. 70. This next picture here is a more zoomed-in picture of the time of the tribulation. So the rapture is the church being taken out, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then at the end of the tribulation, that seven-year period, the glorious appearing or the return of the Lord Jesus. And during the time of the tribulation, it's broken up into two sections, the first half and the second half, and that's two three-and-a-half-year periods. And as we read the book of Revelation, you can see these uh, three sets of judgments. So the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments listed there in Revelation 6 and then 8 and 9. That happens during the first half. And in the middle is where the Antichrist comes. And he goes into the temple. He proclaims himself to be God. And he sits on the mercy seat, which is the place where we sacrifice or where the the priest would sacrifice the lambs to atone for the sin of the nation. And he goes into that place, to the place that only the priests were to go. And he declares himself to be God. Now, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. This is all what we've been going over the last two weeks. And when he does that, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation described by Daniel the prophet, he basically says, head for the hills because it's going to get worse, because when those, the, those first sets of judgments, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, as you read the book of Revelation, are incredibly horrible. To think about what happens to people, to the earth, as God begins to pour out his wrath. But when God begins to pour out his wrath even more so, when he becomes so angry that he begins to pour out these bold judgments. As you go and read in chapters 15 and 16, you'll see that the wrath of God is just is decimating the earth and, it's, and people are being struck with sores and boils and the seas turning to blood and all of these cataclysmic things are happening. So the, again, this is to kind of give you a, a picture of what's going to be taking place. This is actually sort of a, a list here to help make sense of What are some of the passages that talk about the rapture of the church? And what are some of the passages that talk about the second coming of Christ? So again, I'm making all this available to you. We're not going to go through all of this this morning, but we are going to look at some of those scriptures. Uh, One of the things um, that we had some comments on is people not really understanding sort of the differences between the rapture and the second coming or the glorious appearing of Jesus. So I'm not going to go through all of these uh, things here, but uh, one of the things that's important to help us understand is where, when the rapture happens versus when the second coming of Christ happens. Where is Jesus and where is his church? Those are two questions we have to ask ourselves. So when the rapture happens, when Jesus comes for his church... Jesus comes in the air for his own. That's number one on the left under rapture. And on the right, Christ comes with his own to the earth. So we will have already been in heaven and that we will be coming back with him in Revelation chapter 19. So we're going to go through some of this. I'm just giving you an overview before we get into some scriptures. 
Uh, number two on the left, rapture of all Christians. On the right-hand side, during the second coming of Christ, there is no rapture. There is no catching up or taking away of people. So those are distinctions between the two. Uh, number five, just jumping down on the left, the church is taken to heaven. And so we'll talk about that this morning. Number five on the right, Jesus comes back to the earth and judges the earth, but he comes also to set up his kingdom on the earth. So those are some real differences between the two things. Number eight, it's for believers only, for those who have believed in the name of Jesus Christ. On the right, number eight, it affects all of humanity. As Jesus comes back in his second coming, everyone who's on the earth at that time, that generation, everyone on the face of planet earth will be affected. Now, certainly when the Lord comes and takes the believers out, the church to come home and be with him, that will affect the earth because it will become the, the trigger, so to speak, to set off the events of the time of the tribulation. But, uh, it, you know, it, there's no judgment at that point. The Lord is taking his bride to be with him. Uh, again, uh, in the second coming, uh, he, um, I lost my place there, uh, number eight, yeah, it affects all of humanity. So there's, there's a lot of things there. Uh, I'll leave that for you if you want to get into that. Uh, again, I'm happy to share this with you. So in Matthew chapter 24, we've been looking at, again, what Jesus was saying would be happening at the end of the age. So I think what can be a little uh, difficult for us as we read these passages of Scripture is to look at them and to say, Jesus is speaking at this point in time, but he's speaking all the way down through 2,000 plus years. And he's sort of speaking to everything that could be happening, but he's also speaking specifically to what would happen when the tribulation comes and when he comes back at the end of the tribulation. Well, these are some of those scriptures that, just to capitalize upon what we've been talking about in Matthew 24, these scriptures talk about the time of the tribulation. And so these further emphasize what we've been talking about in Matthew 24. So let's read through some of these together this morning to sort of hopefully solidify our understanding of this. So Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now these are describing, if you read the book of Revelation, this, this is the same language that's used in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now that's important for us, why? As believers sitting on this side of things who won't be there during the time of the revelation because God's wrath will be poured out. You know, we, we should not take for granted that God's wrath toward us is stayed because of the blood of Christ. And so this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've believed in him, we should understand that that means that, that we're protected from the wrath of God. The wrath that God pours out during the time of the tribulation is not for us. It's for those who have not yet believed in him or who, who fully reject him. And that is a, a terrible thing to think of. It's a frightful thing to think of. Now, I know every one of us have been touched by death, haven't we? If someone has passed away who 
whom we know, who is near and dear to us. And, and the worst thing is, is to not know, do they know the Lord? Did they know Christ? Because you see, at the end of the age, when we all stand before Christ, believers will stand before the Bema seat of Christ to receive rewards uh, for being in Christ. And those who never trusted in Christ in Revelation chapter 20 will stand before this thing called the great white throne of judgment. And at that point in time, those people will be sent to condemnation to a place called eternal torment called hell. And when we consider the alternatives, and there's only two, to be with Christ forever and ever and ever in heaven before the throne of God or to be in eternal damnation, we should not take that for granted. And so he says here in verse 11, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? In other words, this should be something we want. We want to see the Lord come back for his church and we want to see the Lord move things along the prophetic timeline, but we also want God to be gracious and merciful, don't we? We want him to tarry long enough in in terms of bringing salvation to someone's doorstep, so to speak, whom we know who does not yet know Christ. And so we want to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God, but in the meantime, we also want to pray for those people who don't yet know Christ. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is looking toward when Jesus comes back and he judges the earth and he sets up his kingdom. In Jude, verses 14 and 15, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Now, when does the Lord come with 10,000s of his saints? If you go read Revelation chapter 19, we find that we, the church, are coming back with Jesus uh, on a, on a, as a part of a heavenly army on the, the, the day of the battle of Armageddon. We're a part of that entourage that returns with Christ. And here, all the way from the book of Genesis, Enoch is prophesying about that, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints, and there's only one time in history when Jesus comes with his saints, and that is at the time of the second coming. And he comes to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So that's referring to the time of the second coming. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, the book begins by saying, Behold, he, that is Jesus, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So this is talking about the time of the second coming. This Scripture ties to others. We don't have time to go into all of them this morning. But in Zechariah chapter 14, we find there that Zechariah prophesied this very thing. He says there, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And this was before crucifixion had been invented when Zechariah prophesied that. And here all the way in the book of Revelation, and every eye will see him. 
So this is, a, again, a sign of the second coming as every eye on the face of planet Earth will see Jesus. In the rapture, only the church will see him and be caught up to be with him. Another place that the tribulation is spoken of in addition to Matthew chapter 24 is in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so as Paul is writing this here, uh, just a, a clue for you, when, when Paul writes sort of first and second letters, uh, a lot of times the second letter, he gets into things that have to do with troubling times like 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, uh, Peter and 2 Peter, similar kinds of things. Here he says, uh, just looking at verse um, 4, Uh, so that we ourselves boast uh, of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, the word tribulation being a general term for the difficulties and the trials, not the specific tribulation with a capital T, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us. Notice here, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When he comes at the time of the rapture, he's not coming from heaven with his mighty angels. When he comes during his second coming, he will be coming with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. When does this happen? at the second coming, not at the time of the rapture. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, capital D, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you is believed. So talking about what it will be like on that day when Jesus comes back with his heavenly army of angels and with the church in tow, and he's glorying in his saints, saying these are those who believed. And now, just to switch over and begin to talk about the rapture a bit, again, we can't go through all the passages, but we're going to go through just a few that specifically talk about this idea or this concept of the rapture of the church, and we'll define that in just a moment. In John chapter 14, he said here, as Jesus was talking to his disciples in the upper room, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Not just the disciples listening to him in that room, but to us today. And for all who down through history would believe in the name of Christ and trust him. He says here, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. When does he come again and receive his church to himself? It's the rapture of the church. And what's the purpose? That where I am, there you may be also. So that we may be with him. And where I go you know in the way you know. In Colossians chapter 3, we find this phrase as Paul is speaking it. And keep in mind here, folks, when we do a Bible study like this and we're pulling scriptures out and and quoting them, uh, 
you, you should be a Berean. You should check these things out for yourself, which is, again, why I'm, I'm offering for you to get a copy of this and look through it. Because it's so easy for people to take scriptures and just quote them and pull them out of context and say, here, this proves my point. And uh, I hope you understand, I did a lot of legwork on this. I, I, I'm not just yanking scriptures out like I just did a word search on something or something like that. Uh, you know, there's integrity here, but I want you to not just believe blindly what I tell you. I want you to check these things out for yourself. Colossians chapter 3, he said, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In a few minutes, there's another scripture we're going to quote that's going to just make total sense of this. But Paul is saying here, Jesus will appear, and when we see him, we will appear with him in glory. We'll be caught up to the clouds with him. But also, there's, as, as so often with prophecy, there's a near and a far fulfillment. We'll be caught up to Jesus in the clouds, but then we'll also be coming back with him at the end of the time of the tribulation. So we will appear with him in glory in the clouds as he receives us. But then we will also appear with him in glory when we come back in that heavenly army seven years later. And the main passage I wanted to get to this morning, sort of the classic passage that talks about the rapture of the church, is this passage here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says here, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. When Paul wrote this letter to them, and it's an amazing study in the book of First Thessalonians. Paul, as you read the book of Acts, how Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to go throughout all sorts of places and bring the gospel and preach it and establish churches. He spent three weeks in Thessalonica. When you think about this, passed through a town, preached the gospel for three weeks, discipled people, and said, uh, the Lord's calling me to move on. He appointed people to be leaders of the church after three weeks babes in Christ. And now as he's gone, he's heard from them that they were concerned because people had died and they didn't see the coming of the Lord. And they had heard things that Paul had told them. And keep in mind, in the, in the New Testament times, as they were speaking, the scriptures weren't written. They were being written by the Holy Spirit sort of live. And so imagine someone coming through speaking to you on a, on a given Sunday. Let's just say it was actually an apostle, like the apostle Paul, and then they leave, they speak to you for you know, three weeks in, in a Bible study, and they leave, and that's all you have. You don't have a Bible. You have the Old Testament scriptures, and you have to build your life and, and lead your life now on, on the basis of this new covenant of Jesus Christ and the, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so they're a little concerned, they're, they're confused. And Paul's writing to them, and he says, look, uh, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Listen, the gospel is all about hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain, so he's giving sort of a picture here, uh, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord Whenever that happens, and this is the rapture of the church, will by no means precede those who are asleep. So on the day that Jesus appears in the clouds, 
there will be some measure of believers here on the earth alive and there will be those who have already died and gone to the grave. And he's saying, what's gonna happen is there's an order. God honors faith. And God will resurrect and bring those previously departed saints up to meet him in the clouds. And then, you know, we who are alive and remain, we will not precede them for the Lord will descend uh, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Verse 17, there's our word. Uh, we'll come back to that. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, some of you astute Bible students will say, hey man, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. You're, tr- you're correct. In verse 17, where it says caught up in the original language, the Greek language, that word is harpazo, which means to, snatch, to be snatched away or to caught up or to be taken violently. And is this true with all words, depending on the context that's used in, its meaning changes in this context. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up or snatched away or, or caught away to be with the Lord. Where did the word rapture come from? When Jerome translated the Bible from Greek into Latin Vulgate, he, the, word, uh, the Latin word for harpazo or for caught up is actually rapturus. So you can see how the term got coined, the rapture of the church. Uh, if we wanted to be more biblical, we would say the catching up or the catching away of the church. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So what is he saying here? He's saying there's this day that's going to come where Jesus will come back and he'll appear in the clouds and this trumpet will, will blow. And, and, and those of us who are alive at that point, try to imagine this. this think about it. This is a global event. Have you ever thought about this? The earth is round. And Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. And all of those who are called by his name will at that moment see him. And when, he, he, when this whole thing happens, we will be caught up to be with Jesus. Let's continue here to kind of put this thing together. The next chapter, we were just in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now we're in 1 Thessalonians 4, excuse me. Now we're in chapter 5. And he says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So this language is actually, he's using the language of the tribulation. This is the same kind of language that Jesus used in Matthew 24. So he's, he's saying when that happens, that, that time of the tribulation comes, you know, they were concerned, hey, did we miss something? And he says, but you, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So something important to point out here, that with the rapture of the church, just going back to those charts for a minute, how Jesus comes back to take his church up to be with him before the time of the tribulation, and we'll talk about why that is in just a moment. But he's saying here, uh, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. There's this idea of the imminency, meaning it could happen at any moment. 
It could happen at any moment. And, and there's other scriptures we're going to hit here in just a moment that illustrate that we are supposed to always be ready. This has been the idea since the day that Jesus was taken up into the clouds when he ascended. That there is this idea that we, the church, who down through the ages, through the years, we are always to live with expectancy, looking up, being ready for the Lord to come back and to take his church to be with him. Let us not sleep. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. The time of the tribulation is a time where God pours out his wrath. We are not appointed to wrath, not just in the sense of God is not going to judge us because of Christ, but he will take us out or away from that time of wrath when he he pours out his wrath upon the earth. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation or deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that we should live together with him. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come and catch you up and take you away to come and be with me. That's what we just read in chapter 4. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you were also doing. You see, this is a, a key reason why we as the church should meet together. We're going to talk about in a few moments uh, a verse in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that talks about why it's important for us to meet together. Because we need this kind of encouragement, don't we? On any given day, you and I can so easily get discouraged. We can so easily get weighed down with what's going on in the world, with the circumstances of our lives. And it's so important for believers to have fellowship, whether that's in small groups, whether it's coming to church on Sunday morning, we need regular fellowship so that we can be encouraged, comfort one another, encourage one another, just as you are also doing. In Romans chapter 11, we find this verse in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 in the book of Hebrews are so important because in chapter 9, Paul takes a break from what he was doing in the book of Romans, which is giving us this great manifesto of the Christian faith and what our salvation is. And he takes this break in those three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, and he focuses specifically on the nation of Israel. And in chapter 9, he talks about the nation of Israel in her former glory. And in chapter 10, he talks about how is God viewing the nation of Israel today. And in chapter 11, he talks about the future glory of the nation of Israel. And those three chapters are so important because there are many who have a misguided uh, sense and understanding that because Israel rejected her Messiah, that God has given up on Israel, and that the church has now replaced Israel. Israel as God's chosen people. And that's not true. The church are God's chosen people, but Israel are God's chosen people as well. And so those three chapters are really important to help us understand that God is not finished with Israel, that this is one of the key reasons for the time of the tribulation. God is going to come back and and focus during the time of the tribulation. He's going to focus on his people and have the gospel specifically preached to his people. As we read the book of Revelation, we find in Revelation chapter 11, I believe it is, that's the two witnesses 
that God brings back to preach the gospel for a very long period of time during that first half of the tribulation. And then he, he appoints 144,000 Jewish witnesses to go and to preach the gospel throughout the whole world, first to the Jew and secondly to the Gentile, to those living during that time. God himself is going to preach the gospel way better than any human ever has. During that time, he's going to focus on his people. So in Romans chapter 11, he says in uh, verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So if you can recall briefly those charts I put up earlier, that, um, that when the church is taken out of the way, then the time of the tribulation comes. Many view that time that we've labeled or we've, we've put a label on it called the church age. That we are in this time here uh, listed in Romans chapter 11 until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That we're kind of in the time or the age of the Gentiles where the gospel has gone to the Gentiles beginning on the day of Pentecost. And we see that echoed in Luke chapter 21. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So there is this idea that one day, whenever the the last Gentile comes to, to saving faith in Christ, whenever that is, and who knows when that is, except the Lord, that then the Lord will say, okay, that's the last one on the roll of the book of life. And then he will come and he will snatch his church away. In Romans chapter 13, we have this, this, this echo or this shadow of this same idea of the eminency of being ready for the Lord coming back for his church. And he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now, Paul's writing this in the first century. How much more does this apply to us today? It's high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Isn't that true with every tick of the clock and with each passing day? Our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. Why? Because every day that passes, every moment, every tick on the clock is a, is a moment closer, it's a day closer to when Jesus comes back for his church and when the end of the world starts to happen as God pours out his wrath during the time of the tribulation. So it's nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. There's the imminency again. Be ready. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now this morning, if you are here as a person who's believed in Christ, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the gospel in a minute, that this is saying there, there should be a progression in our lives, right? From the day we first believed in Christ till now, that we're growing in Christ. And that we're not still doing the things we did when we were saved, when we first got saved. You know, we hear these stories, right, of people who when they first got saved, they were partying, they were drinking, they were having sex, they were doing drugs, and they were doing all these things. Now, maybe your life wasn't like that. But you were hostile toward God. You didn't believe in God. Nothing in your life, you didn't even care about Jesus. He was a swear word to you. But now your eyes have been opened. You, through the gospel, you've believed. Now you're growing in Christ. What that's saying is our life today, however many days, weeks, months, or years it's been since when we first believed till now, there should be this progression in our lives. That we are shedding 
those things that once bind and constrained us, the darkness, the evil. Those are not things that we should be participating in as believers. And isn't it hard with social media, with television, with politics? We keep getting sucked into these things. Our friends, peer pressure, the world, conform. You know, the world is constantly trying to conform us into its mold. And these scriptures are here to shake us up and to stir us up and to remind us, be ready. The Lord could be coming at any moment. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust and strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This is a passage that's sort of a readiness passage. Now, I'm sure we've all traveled. You've taken a trip, right? You know how it is in the days leading up and even the hours leading up to that trip. You're getting ready. You're preparing. You're packing. You're making preparations so that you can leave the house or leave the dog or whatever you're doing. You're getting ready. And we are to be in a state of constant readiness. If we were in the military, and some of you perhaps were, there's this concept of having a go bag, right? You're always ready. You get a call, you're a special forces guy, you always have a go bag. If the call comes, you grab the go bag and you go. Wheels up in 10, get out there. And it's that same idea of readiness and imminency that we have or we should have with the rapture of the church. Second Thessalonians, it continues. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, different words, same concept. We ask you, not to be soon, soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if uh, from us as though the day of Christ had come. So he's helping them to understand. No, you didn't miss it. Just because bad things are happening in your life and the world is going crazy, and it is, isn't it? Today, isn't the world going crazy? I was having a conversation with someone on Friday. I was like, I never thought I would be seeing the things that I'm seeing right now in our world, in our society. Things are tried in the court of public opinion. There is no more uh, innocent until proven guilty. You know, the world is just turning so quickly. What's happened to our world this year in 2021 is absolutely radically crazy. If my grandparents could have seen this, they would literally be turning over in their grave. The, The world is not getting better. You understand this, right? The world is not getting better in any way, shape, or form. We are speeding toward the time of the tribulation. The world is getting so crazy that it will be necessary for someone to come on the scene, the Antichrist, who will come and and institute a peace treaty with Israel. Think about in our time, in in our generation, there's never been peace in the Middle East. But when this man comes, the Antichrist, he will come and bring peace to the Middle East, and it will be so dramatic that he will become the one world ruler. Everyone will become so enamored with him, and that's what this is talking about. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, there's, this is something also that Jesus talks about, that as we, as we come closer to the time of the tribulation, that there will be this thing called an apostasy or a falling away of the church, where people who profess the name of Christ, and, and maybe perhaps you know people like this, sadly I do, who, to, who, who they've turned and they've walked away, they've denied Christ. Or at the very least, maybe you know people who 
they go to church on Sunday or they say they believe in Christ or they don't go to church anymore, but they say they believe in Christ, but there's nothing in their lives that look like Jesus. There's no mark of holiness. There's no mark of the blood of Christ on their lives. And they profess with their lips, but their hearts are cold. Their their hearts and minds are far from him. And he's saying that the falling away comes first and the man of sin, that's a phrase to refer to the Antichrist, the son of perdition, another phrase to refer to the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. That's the abomination of desolation spoken of in Matthew 24 and spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Uh, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, that's the abomination of desolation. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and I know, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. And what we believe that that means, what I believe that means is simply this, that when the Lord comes for his church, And he takes his church out of the world. It's not that he takes his Holy Spirit out of the world. The Spirit is the agent of salvation and the Holy Spirit will be necessary for people to get saved during the time of the tribulation. But the Holy Spirit has a restraining effect on evil in the world in and through the church. Now we know, don't we as believers, that when we believed in Christ and when he came into our lives that he also gave us the spirit as a surety, as a down payment, as a deposit, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So now as God removes his church, as he removes this strong sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit from the world all at once, you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Now, now any sense of normalcy, any sense of rationality is removed Because the church is removed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and only he who now restrains, capital H, he, that is God, who now restrains will do so until he, the spirit, that's how I understand it, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. When the church is taken out, then the man of sin can be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. At the end of the time of the tribulation, God will consume Satan, and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the second coming. The coming of the lawless one, time of the tribulation, is according to the working of Satan. Satan is behind these things. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. If we had time, where we could go with that? Romans chapter 1. How the world rejected God. And it says there in Romans chapter 1, 18 through the end of the chapter, how God said that now it's okay for men with men, women with women to do unspeakable things. That they might be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected God. And it says there in Romans 1, they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And for this reason, verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That phrase, the lie, appears here and then appears in Romans chapter 1. And it seems to refer all the way back to the deception where Satan came into the garden and he deceived Eve. And when he deceived Eve, if you remember, as he came in, he said to her, hath God said... And he questioned 
the word of God. He questioned the authority of God. And so for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. And it says in Romans 1 that he gave them over. He gave them over to believe. That they may all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had uh, pleasure in unrighteousness. We could go on here, Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Again, the eminency, right? Are you getting the flavor of this? That Jesus wants us to be ready? 1 Timothy 6, um, verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Be ready, keep yourself. Be ready for any moment the Lord might come. Second Timothy 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now that's referring to the time of the tribulation, but he, he will judge, right? Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What day? When I see him face to face. And not only to me only, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to men. This is the first coming of Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Hebrews 10, and, let us, and we're not even hitting all the scriptures, folks. This is just a few. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be ready, it's coming. Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, don't we? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. When Jesus appears in the clouds, man, boom, that's it. No, you can't say, can you give me 10 minutes, Lord, to clean up a little bit? You have to be ready. In that moment, bam, it's time to go right now. And we're almost finished here. One more slide. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You see, all of the New Testament writers have this, don't they? Be ready. Be be. Understanding this could happen at any moment. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also, in like manner, just like a farmer, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, always live in a state of readiness. No matter what's happening, always be ready. Have everything in order. 1 Peter 1.13, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking forward to. There is no hope to be had in this world. The court systems aren't going to fix anything. Electing Supreme Court justices who are more righteous and shifting the balance of the court isn't going to fix it. I, I hope that we do, but 
you know, that's not where my hope is. My hope is in Christ. First Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. This was written in the first century, folks. But these words ring for us today. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Are you praying? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you praying for those people who don't know Christ? 1 Peter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, and when will he appear? First time at the glorious, you know, uh, when we see him in the clouds, and then second time at that glorious appearing when he comes at the end of the time of the tribulation. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When's that going to happen for us? At the rapture of the church. 1 John chapter 3, one of my favorites. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, what are we being transformed into. But we know that when he is revealed, that's Jesus, and I believe this is the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Looking forward to the coming of Christ the end. What are we looking forward to here? Whether it's the rapture of the church or even thinking forward to the end of the time of the tribulation. For here on this earth, we have no continuing city, but we seek the one that is to come. Therefore, by him, that is by Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What an appropriate scripture to finish with as we are here in Thanksgiving week. This is our focus, folks. Don't get comfortable. Don't put down your roots here. Have your go bag ready. And understand that Jesus could come at any moment. Let's be ready. And as he said back there in Romans chapter 13, it's high time. The time is drawing near. Be ready. Look up for your redemption draws nigh. The rapture of the church is a separate and a distinct time from the time of the tribulation. Jesus will come back with a, with a shout and a, and, a, and a trump of God, and he will call his saints, his church, to be home with him just before the time of the tribulation cranks up. Then at the end of the time of the tribulation, we will come back, Revelation chapter 19, with him as a part of his heavenly army. Two distinct, separate things. When we read in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, we have the seven letters to the seven churches. We believe that speaks to us during the time of the church age. Then in chapters 4 and 5, we see where's the church. And 2 and 3, they were on earth. Jesus was speaking to us through letters. Chapters 4 and 5, the church is now in heaven with God, worshiping around his throne, his footstool. Then in chapters 6 through 19, it describes the horrid nature of the time of the tribulation. Where is the church? We are in heaven watching and probably praying for those on the earth going through those things, praying that God would be gracious and merciful and that people will repent and turn their hearts to Christ. Then at the end of the time of the tribulation, the Father will say, go get them. And he will send his heavenly army and his angels down. The time of the tribulation will be over. The battle of Armageddon will ensue and then Jesus will come. And he will judge the world. And then he will set up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And at the end of that time, he will cast Satan and all of his angels into the pit of hell and seal it up. 
And then we will live with him forever and ever and ever in eternity in heaven. And during that time, we will do nothing but be in his presence and worship him. And we will know the heavenly reality that my father has gone, that Jesus has gone to his father to prepare a place for you and me. Amen. So this morning, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that you have, Lord, just been so gracious to us. And for any, Lord, this morning who perhaps have never trusted in you or believed in you, I I pray that this would be the time that they would give their hearts to you, that they would understand that you, Lord Jesus, came and you lived the perfect life and you died on the cross to make a way for us to have a relationship with your Father. You became the atonement of God. You, you paid for our sins. You covered our transgressions. And for all who would believe in you and trust that they would be saved, they would be delivered. And as Paul said there in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we would be delivered from the wrath to come, judicially and forever and ever, but also on that day, delivered from the wrath that you will pour out on the earth during the time of the tribulation. And so, Lord, I pray that any listening to this this morning, listening to the sound of my voice, that they would believe and receive and trust in you, Lord Jesus. And understand that there is no other way. There's no other name among men under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. There's only one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, would you just bless us as we remember and as we celebrate your goodness that you came and that you gave yourself in a complete way, your body beaten on our behalf, the sin of the world laid upon your shoulders. You went to the cross and suffered a criminal's death, someone who was completely innocent and had never sinned. And you took the weight of the world, but more importantly, the weight of my sin, the weight of each of our sins here upon yourself. And we remember that this morning as we take communion, as we take your table together. And just like your disciples on that night who sat there with you, when you washed their feet and you said, do you know what I've done to you? You're doing the same thing right here with us today. And Lord, we want to be your servants because we love you, and we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord. So as we worship you now and take the table together, would you bless us in Jesus' name? Amen.